Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 2, Episode 18. This is your host, Blem. This is your boy, Mike D, back again. And we made it, ladies and gentlemen. The MLS Cup Final is upon us, which means that the season is just about over, which is really sad to say. But tonight we have an extra special guest for you all, and I'm very excited to get into things. On this episode of MLS Gone Wild, we are joined by a special guest to get us ready for the MLS Cup Final between our beloved Columbus crew and defending MLS Cup champions, the Seattle Sounders. Our guest this week is nine-time Ohio Photographer of the Year, four-time Ohio Sports Photographer of the Year, co-host of the Soccer Speakeasy podcast covering the Columbus crew, and most importantly, my cousin, Kyle Robertson. Kyle, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. Thank you, thank you. Hey, you guys are forgetting my most uh, prestigious honor. It's uh, my uh, MLS 2015 Media Cup MVP trophy. So that should validate all my, uh, all my uh, talk tonight. <laughs> Damn, how did I forget that one? Blake is a research guy. Blake is a research guy. He's a numbers guy. He does the deep digging. And for him to miss that, especially with his cousin, oh, man, your, your credibility. Uh, hey, hey, it was a star-studded, uh, it was a star-studded game, so I was happy to come out on top. So, <laughs> you know, you know Kyle, Kyle set me up there. He told me he was nine-time photo- Ohio Photographer of the Year. He told me he was the four-time Ohio Sports Photographer of the Year. He didn't tell me he got that award. <laughs> All right, but Kyle, thanks for joining MLS Gone Wild, man. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing good, man. I'm just really looking forward to this game uh, on Saturday evening. Uh, I was hoping the weather would be a little bit nicer, but, hey, uh, it's the end of the season. It's December, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm excited to watch uh, hopefully a pretty epic game or a massive game here come Saturday night. That's a key word recently, massive. All right, so we're going to talk about the MLS Cup final. We're going to preview it later, but – we're also going to talk about the Eastern Conference Final. But before we get into our breakdown of the Eastern Conference Final and the preview to the MLS Cup, we want to talk to you about your front page photos that cover the walls of my man cave. For 14 and a half years, you have covered high school, collegiate, and professional sports in the Buckeye State. You captured the block by LeBron James in the dying minutes of Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals. You captured the one-and-done photo of Ezekiel Elliott celebrating Ohio State's national championship win over Oregon and the inaugural year of the college football playoff. If there was history to be made in Ohio sports, you have been there to capture for us. Kyle, what is your favorite sports picture you have ever taken and why? Oh man. I mean, that truly is a, you know, a a hard thing to pick. I mean, every, every event and every game, you know, means a certain amount. Um, But I mean, if I, Ooh, I mean, this might this might sound weird, but my favorite photos are the ones I take of my little man playing hockey right now. Um, but I mean, it's uh, but I mean, I've had a lot of ones. I mean, when you're in the business, uh, you know, this would be almost uh, you know my 14th year, um, you know, at the Columbus Dispatch covering, like you said, um, you know, all the you know Ohio State, uh, the crew, um, you know, the Clippers baseball. We have an awesome AAA team here, the Blue Jackets. Um, you know, and I was lucky enough to cover the Cavs the year they won it. So, I mean, it's really, uh, you know, it's really, I mean, it's truly hard to pick one. Uh, I can probably pick one from each of the different sports I've covered. 
Um, but truthfully, I mean, as much as I love the, you know, the pro sports and everything, high school sports, man, it's the best, uh, especially in the playoffs. You know, a lot of times you get, you get these awesome uh, photos of either dejection or celebration. Um, you know, when, when teams lose and a lot, of, a lot of players, a lot of athletes, you know, it's their last game they've ever played. You know, a lot of guys and girls don't make that next jump into college. So, you know, um, you know, I, there's just so many. I mean, I can go through, you know, one of my favorite ones, you know, for soccer. You know, I was, I was fortunate to be at, at some of the um, Dose Zero games uh, at Moffray. Um, You know, I, I remember actually one of my favorite ones, you know, I have Landon Donovan's last goal. Um, that he scored, I believe, with the U.S. national team. Um, and then, but actually, one of my favorite ones is uh, to the end of the game, Clem Densing. I don't know if you guys remember, but he got he got taken down in the in the penalty box, I think, in extra time. And I and I have this shot of him uh, taking the PK, and he has you know Deuce up, you know, to you know for you know it could be him, you know, Deuces, you know, or it could be you know the dose of zero. But he plowed that that ball like over the goalpost to keep it two nothing. So that was memorable. Um, obviously the, uh, you know, the Cavs stuff was, I mean, that, I mean, that whole finals was just unbelievable and, and be able to head out to California and, and cover that, you know, uh, you know, as, as awesome as, you know, the LeBron block was, you know, I might like the Kyrie shot, you know, the three pointer, because right after he made it, um, there's a, uh, um, there's like this little girl, um, God, maybe five years old, who's a Cavs fan. And, uh, you know, she was cheering, uh, you know, in the background of, uh, you know, of this photo and amongst all the Warrior fans. So, I mean, it was pretty, pretty awesome to see, um, to see that. Let me see if I can bring that up uh, real quick here. So I, I brought some, some of these, uh, these photos to show you guys. Um, um, uh, is it going? Yeah. And for our listeners out there who yeah. can't see this goal, yeah. we just got – Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're going through some of these. I mean, uh, you know, I've been there for the moment. Uh, you know, one of my favorite Blue Jacket ones, uh, Nick Felina uh, scored an overtime goal against the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, you know, one of their uh, uh, first home wins ever. And I swear to God, the, the, the roof uh, Nationwide Arena, you know, it was the loudest I've ever heard it before. Um, you know, in Ohio State, there's been so many uh, unbelievable photos. Uh, I don't know if I have a particular moment um, that's, you know, pretty uh, awesome. Um, I remember getting the Braxton Miller, uh, uh, you know, B-button spin against Virginia Tech. So that was pretty cool. Um, but, I mean, there's just so many great moments. And, you know, uh, with the crew, you know, uh, um, you know, some of my favorite shots is – okay, so when I was out there for the, uh, for the MLS championship in 2008 or 2009, that season um, – you know, uh, the team photographer snuck me in the locker room afterwards. And so that was some of the coolest stuff. So I've, I've been lucky enough that I've, I've, I believe I'm the only sports journalist in Ohio that have been in, that have been in the locker room um, in the last three uh, championships uh, here in, in Ohio with the Cavs uh, in, in, in 2016, the Buckeyes, uh, you know, in 2014-15 season, and, and then the crew. So, I mean, those are some of the, the, the coolest things to see um, you know, is that post-game celebration in the locker room where a lot of people don't get to kind of see kind of, you know, what's going on in, 
my one tip to you guys, and if anyone's listening, if you ever are in some sort of post-game celebration in a locker room or on the field or anything, make sure you can, can grab anything you see on the ground that you think might be trash, like cork bottles. Like I have seven, you know, champagne bottles from the calves, you know, the corks that they popped off and they were on the ground. So, you know, and then I have uh, confetti from each, uh, you know, from the uh, 2015 championship. So little things like that, that kind of mean something and kind of remember kind of how, uh, you know, how things were. So, I mean, it truly is amazing. I mean, we're, uh, you know, I, I tell people all the time, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're like a history keeper, man. You're, you know, we take photos and uh, of what's actually going on in history. And, you know, the, um, I think it's cool because years later, nobody remembers the box score of like the game seven um, out in, um, you know, out in San Francisco against the Warriors. You know, no one remembers how many points I had. They just remember moments. They remember the block. They remember all these other key stuff. So you, you know, you have the ability, you know, um, that, you know, you have moments, you have posters, you have pictures. There's nothing, there's nothing more awesome awesomer to walk into a bar or a restaurant or anything and see your photos of all these big games everywhere you know and and to know that you're a part of history and people love having those photos um you know kind of up there so um i've been grateful it's uh, truly is an amazing um you know um thing that we get to do in sports and and and, and this whole year i mean especially with 2020 i feel even more um, special that, you know, where there's only a handful of us who are at these games taking photos and documenting history. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of grateful for, for that. So. Yeah, Kyle, that's really cool. So in the lead up to this question, I specifically asked about the one and done and the LeBron block, because I have both of those that you've given me mm -hmm. and I framed and they're in my man cave. And I will remember those moments like you just touched on forever. Mm -hmm. But the one that I really want to touch on is the block that you have up and you're sharing the screen right now. And it's going to be a, an easy segue for Mike D into his next question. You're watching LeBron James chase Andre Iguodala down the court in game seven. What are your thoughts yeah. before clicking the capture button? Well, a lot of times, you know, you're following the action. So, you know, in that situation like that, I mean, I was – you know, um, following, you know, um, Iguodala, you know, up court. And truthfully, you know, I didn't even see LeBron come in until the last minute into the frame, you know, because I'm, I'm focused on him and um, I'm, I'm kind of up high a little bit and kind of got this nice view. And then out of nowhere, he comes, you know, and I got this awesome photo of his, you know, of his right hand, the ball and the glass. And, you know, the, you know, I have seen some other ones. There are some nicer ones out there. I mean, obviously um, you can, you know, I, you know, I'd like to get a view of the faces, but still, I mean, it's an, it's an awesome moment, but that's the cool thing about sports is stuff like this kind of happen out of, I wouldn't say out of nowhere, but uh, you know, kind of happen. And, 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 and truthfully um, a lot of times what makes great photos is just being lucky. I mean, it's, it's the God honest truth. Um, you know, the right time, the right place, the right moment. And a lot of times you kind of miss these moments, but um, you know, you, you know, on, on something like that, you can get, uh, you know, very, very lucky on, on something like that. So, but, you know, it's, uh, it's truly, you know, it's truly is amazing. You know, it's taken me a lot of different places and wow. anywhere the, you know, one of the teams, you know, um, this photo here is in Ohio stadium. I mean, who knew, you know, there'd be 80, 90,000 people watching a soccer game, you know, in Ohio stadium to see two of the world's greatest club teams play, 
you know um so yeah it's a it's a it's a great um you know it's a i've enjoyed it you know um you know you know as a kid you know you only you you know i don't think people say oh yeah i want to be a photographer you know you want to play sports if you're into sports and you know and, and at an early age i realized you know if i if i couldn't be in sports and be a professional soccer player or you know whatever um you know the next best thing is to, you know to be a photographer i mean you're there's literally no one else closer i mean you're literally right there um you know except for if you're a coach um and you know the way i look at it is a lot of people are paying thousands and thousands of dollars to go to these events and you know i'm getting paid to go there and cover it now uh you know you can't cheer you know so that's one of the hard things you know as a journalist you, you know you're, you're trying to be objective and you know so you can't you can't cheer for the you know outwards to cheer for your for the teams that you that you want but you you know you can you want to have a good game and i tell people all the time man i don't you know i don't care what team wins i just want to have a great game i want to have a 65 to 62 football game or i want to have a uh an mls cup five to four you know with nine great goals so you know that's what you're, you're you know you're hoping for you're hoping for you know a lot of great moments and sometimes you know when when it is zero zero and it, you know the, the the pressure and the kind of intensity is there you know to get the shot and i've been there i've um True story, uh, the year Ohio State basketball with Aaron Kraft and uh, Deshaun Thomas and that, and that group, um, you know, made a run into the, uh, the lead eight and they lost, uh, I think out in California to Wichita, uh, you know, for a chance to go to the final four. Aaron Kraft hit two shots um, to get him there, I believe in the round of 16 and also 32. <clears throat> and both of those photos, uh, the first photo, a ref stepping away, so I got ref butt. Uh, and the second time uh, I got an out of focus photo, I got the crowd in the background. So, you know, I was pretty ticked off that I didn't get the shot. Um, but, you know, sometimes that happens and you can't always get every single shot. But I've uh, I've managed to get a quite a few um, pretty cool shots over the years. I can only imagine the, the kind of knowledge that you I mean, or, or expertise that develops as you go through that progression of being a photographer in professional sports. And, you know, I know you do high school and, and other things too, but listening to you speak, obviously you have a clear passion about it. When you first started from to, to now, to this point, like I said, you, you, I, you learn things, I'm sure. And when you're in that moment, you said you're looking for big moments. Okay. What are you doing behind the camera in anticipation of that great shot when you when you see the game when you feel the game when you yeah. hear the game you see the fans you know obviously we're in COVID but in those moments when you feel the game happening do you know exactly like oh my god okay this is the time this is yeah. when I'm going to take that shot what are you looking for in anticipation of those moments well I think that one of the the things that's really helped me out with my sports photography is uh um, you know, I've, I've played soccer, uh, you know, and volleyball in high school and actually, um, you know, played, played some, uh, actually, uh, volleyball in college, but I mean, I was very familiar with all the different sports. So I think when you, when you know the game, you know, I, you know, I know pretty much all the games pretty well, you know, up until the X and O's and that kind of stuff. But when you, when you really get down into it and, and you are an avid soccer fan and you are shooting, you kind of pick up little things here and there. Um, especially in football, like as you get older, you kind of realize different things, you know, when it's third down and 12, you know, you, you know, you're looking for probably wide receivers or the, or the running back to run, 
um, you know, uh, you're picking up little things here and there. And I, I truly think that's helps is helped me in my game is just recognizing the things um, that's happening, you know, during the game and then translating or translating that into, um, uh, you know, into the photography. The best example I can give is, uh, you know, if, if you have any of these uh, Buckeye fans here, the year they went to Oklahoma and uh, uh, Noah Brown, wide receiver, had three touchdown catches. So um, by the third, uh, almost uh, before halftime, he made this incredible uh, catch behind uh, this cornerback. Um, it was it was unbelievable. But I literally to this day remember how that all unfolded. Um, I was watching the quarterback. It was third down in a, in a while. They brought up the safety and left him single coverage. And by then he already had a pretty awesome game. And so I saw the quarterback hike it, and I knew exactly where he, where JT Barrett was going to throw the ball. And so I was able to prepare myself and lock on to Noah Brown and got this awesome photo, um, you know, split-second photo of him making this incredible catch. Um, and so those are little things that you kind of pick up with anything. I mean, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have read, you know, 10,000 hours, you know, or, you know, is when you start kind of becoming a master at anything you do. And I, and I think that's true. The, you know, the more games and the more events you shoot, the better um, you, you get prepared, the, the more you um, know the teams. And, you know, and it helps. It truly does help uh, when I'm out there photographing to see, you know, who has the, who always gets the ball, who to look for. Um, you know, on uh, on set pieces, especially in soccer, uh, to see, you know, who is scoring and who's kind of on the receiving end of things. Um, you know, so it's just a bunch of little things over a long amount of time to kind of add up to um, uh, add up to kind of being successful. Wow. I, I mean, I've never really spoken to a professional photographer before, but hearing this insight is is incredible. I mean, it's I, I never would have anticipated that. I mean, it makes sense, obviously, as, you know, being a sports fan and being a player when you were, you know, younger, it makes sense that you know what to look for in those situations, but to be able to develop that into, and translate it into being a photographer is just, some of this stuff is, is incredible. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And the cool part is to look back on it. I mean, you literally are capturing history. I mean, uh, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, if you don't see it on Twitter or TikTok or, or Instagram or Facebook, you know, you, it, it might not even exist. So, you know, you're, you're, you're there capturing the moment and, you know, people look back on the, on these photos and, and, you know, you can document what it looks like, especially this year. I mean, there's just been, you know, no fans, no atmosphere. It's just crazy and, you know, and surreal and, you know, we're there to document it and see what it's like. And, you know, hopefully we'll never have to do something like this again, but, you know, um, it is cool to see the difference, uh, you know, from each of the, the MLS Cups, um, especially now as I'm, you know, showing you guys the crews, uh, you know, the first one and the second one, um, you know, how, how, how different they were. So it's a cool experience. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter, at least over the last day, after Weston McKinney scored that scissor kick goal against Barcelona, and everybody's like, every kid across America is going to have that poster in their living room. So I can't imagine how good it feels for that photographer that took that picture. That's now, he didn't score the goal, but he's influenced all these kids by putting that poster on the wall. You know what I'm saying? So these photographers do a phenomenal job, including yourself, Kyle, about capturing these moments in history that can motivate the next generation. So I think that's really cool. But in talking about the Weston McKinney photo, that's an action photo. You've talked a lot about all the action photos you've had. 
but you also said that you thoroughly enjoy getting into the locker room or taking pictures of the teams lifting a trophy. One of your most recent pictures to feature on the Dispatch website was the Columbus crew lifting their first Eastern Conference Championship trophy since 2015. The crew defeated the New England Revolution 1-0 on a 59th-minute goal from our tour. With this win, Caleb Porter is the fifth coach in MLS history to win both the Eastern and Western Conference Championships. Kyle, I'm going to turn this over to you first. What were your thoughts on the Eastern Conference Final? Oh, well, I thought, uh, uh, you know, the crew did, did a fabulous job defensively. I mean, uh, you know, if – you know, I think a lot of uh, crew fans might have been a little nervous uh, having, uh, you know, Andrew Tarbell starting uh, for the second game in a row, um, especially in an Easter Conference final and, and in a team that's been scoring goals. And, you know, truthfully, you know, he didn't have to make any saves. I mean, he, he had a couple of saves towards the end when it was kind of an all-out attack, a full blitz, and he had a couple of punch saves and that kind of stuff. But he truly, you know, he did get lucky um, early on in the game. I think uh, one of the shots went off the post. Uh, and then also in the second half, I, I believe, uh, um, um, I forget who missed it, but missed it going down the left side a little bit. Um, he had a good opportunity and, and he, uh, kind of went uh, near side, but, um, you know, missed it on the frame. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought, I, I, you know, that was, that was very impressive to me. It's just the way that they really shut, shut down, um, New England and, you know, they were coming in scoring, two plus, you know, goals in the last five games. And, you know, the, and then the second thing is uh, that, that just super impressed me, um, you know, and lots of people are going to talk about the Mensa, you know, his assists and, you know, the one touch, you know, assist to our tour. But I think the most important part was if you rewatch, if you rewatch the play, he went up for a corner kick and then they lose the ball and Zelleron gets it back and cuts left and cuts right. And then, uh, Mensa was, was heading back to go play defense and then decided at the last second to head back up to go down the right flank and be, you know, and it was all alone and, you know, to, and, and, and to have Zelleron look up and see him, you know, back there. And, and then also the, you know, the incredible touch and the credible goal um, by Artur. But I thought that was like um, pretty amazing that he kind of was going to head back. And then at the last second kind of switched his mind because you don't think of, you know, uh, you know, Jonathan Mintz as this uh, offensive force, kind of like Walker Zinneman, um, you know, from, from Nashville the, the round before, you know, he gets up a lot and kind of presses up, uh, you know, and, and attacks. And, and you didn't think that from the crew captain. And so I thought it was a truly, you know, an incredible play on all ends. I mean, the, for Zellerone to get it and cut left, cut, le cut right. And then, you know, to have that cross with his uh, off foot and then, you know, the, you know, the, the layoff and then the, the shot, you know, the, I'm sure you guys have all seen the incredible slow-mo reverse uh, angle from uh, the backside where it kind of, you know, the ball kind of just had a little bit of English on it. So, I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, it's, it was, it was crazy. So. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll jump in there, Chuck, before I let you go ahead and do your thing, but yeah, I couldn't agree more. The crew have been, amazing throughout the season for the most part in my opinion defensively and they had that little stint at the end of the year where we were a little worried about them keeping their form but they showed up in the right moments and for a New England team that was hot with Carlos Hill and Gustavo Bo those were the threats I thought that try as they might 
these two players for New England were shut down. Carlos Hill tried as, as hard as he could and could not really get anything going. Gustavo Bo, in my opinion, was non-existent throughout the game. And as long as – we talked about this in our last podcast. As long as my opinion was the crew can continue to keep their consistency with their shape and trust in their process and the way that they play the game and make sure that they shut these two down, the rest is going to come. Jossie's going to get his opportunities. Zellerion, to speak on what you just said about the, the cross and to do you know, his, his cut here, cut there, to talk about Carlos Hill being you know, just an amazing player, Zellerion put him in a, in a blender and then gets just enough space to make that cross to, to uh, Jonathan Mensah with a fabulous touch. And just like you said, you never see this from Jonathan Mensah. Jonathan Mensa is never in the attack and is always going to be the guy that maybe he'll get up for a corner, but he's immediately going to track back. And so for him to make that decision, like you saw, to stay up there is incredible. So for me, it was important that they shut these two players down. And I think after that, the rest of it was kind of history. We knew that the crew were going to get their opportunities. Jossie always finds those spaces. And if he does and the crew play the way that they do, they're going to find them and they're going to put one at, at least one in the back of the net, which is what we found. And I think they also, uh, you know, in the whole first half, I mean, Luis uh, Diaz for the crew, man, he was, he was heading down that right flank, I mean, over and over and over and over again. Um, now, they did get away with, uh, you know, fr from going down there in the second half. But, man, he, you know, um, you know he, he probably had like 10, 10 opportunities to head down in the first half. And, you know, anytime, you know, you can get, um, you know, especially in the big game, some, you know, uh, um, play from one of your yeah well you know I, I wouldn't say he's your worst player but you know one of the guys that are your fringe you know they, who've kind of been in and out of the the lineup all year um and I thought that was like super um super important and I, and I and I've really been impressed with the way his game has involved um you know I, I do think he had a little bit of a slump you know he he scored a lot more goals last year and it seemed um to be a little bit more on the offensive end last year what I've noticed a lot about him recently is instead of taking the ball and just dribbling down to the end line and, and then being in trouble and not trying to find the outlet, he's doing a really good job of getting to the ball, making one touch or even without any touches and making that early cross into Zardes. And as you guys both know, Zardes is best when the ball is played and he has space to move into it. He's not the greatest when there's, you know, three or four guys on him and the box is already kind of cluttered with people. He can get to headers and other kind of stuff. But, I mean, you guys have seen him, uh, you know, numerous times. You know, you got to play the ball into space. And, you know, and I think Zardes has done a really good job at, um, at doing that the last couple of games. Now, I do think, though, that um, he does need to make that front post run a little bit more often because a lot of times the last couple of games – um, he has been making those back post runs and the crosses quite haven't um, gotten to him. Um, you know, and I think that has a little bit to do with the guys on the wing. Um, but, you know, if, if he can kind of switch that up and kind of, you know, move back and forth, we're going that near post run and, and then that far post run, but he's deadly. I mean, it, it, you know, you saw in the, in the semifinal game, uh, you know, that the ball that Diaz played to Zardes into space. Now they got so lucky that Walker Zimmerman was already up, into the play trying to get try to get the uh the tying goal and wasn't back there and you know Zardes kind of schooled the um you know the back line but I think I think that's important to watch uh you know moving forward on Saturday is to see how um you know uh, 
the the the, the, the guys other than Zardes, Zellerion, Nagby, you know, and Santos do. You know, if you can get a goal from Artur, you can get a goal from Diaz, uh, or if you can get a goal from Mensa or Josh Williams off a set piece, you know, anything extra from those other guys is going to be super super important on Saturday. It's that diagonal run. Josh yeah. is going to make that diagonal run. It's the most dangerous run in the game, and Blake will tell you all about it. Yeah. I, I love being a good diagonal run. And, Mike D., I don't know if you'll ever get a chance to play, like, indoor or outdoor with Kyle. Kyle is a great striker to play adult league soccer with. He would be a great fit for our indoor team. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Let's make it happen. All right. So, hopefully I don't repeat anything you guys said. I know you guys have talked about the Mensa assists. When I watched that in real time, I honestly thought Mensa was going to hit that ball with the way that his body was shaped because he was faced towards the goal. And honestly, I, it, it sounds difficult and it sounds easy to say, but in the air from the ball from Zellerion, he let the ball run across his body and then last second inside the foot laid it off to our tour. I mean, his body was shaped towards the goal and he sliced it back like a seven ball so he could play it in near stick our tour could. Um, so, yeah. You don't, you don't expect that from him. You expect that from a uh, Milton, Van, you know, Valenzuela or some of the, you know, some of the other guys who are more skilled. You don't it, expect no, that from your center, your center back. Right? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm giving him all the credit in the world. And if you, if you would have went into this game saying that, Jonathan Mensah was going to get the game-winning assist and Artur was going to get the game-winning goal, I would not have taken yeah. that bet, okay? I would have taken <laughs> – You would have made a lot of money at Vegas. <laughs> it, it, exactly. So the Mensa assist was just as impressive to me as the Artur goal. Diaz, Diaz, Luis Diaz has – in the March 7th game against Seattle, he had the one assist to Giassi Zardes. It came on an early ball from the right-hand side. It came in the first half. Giassi made a diagonal run across the face of the goal. They scored. So that's something that Caleb Porter looks to imply more and more. Now that Derek Etienne Jr. has seemed to be the player that might be coming off the bench, Luis Diaz is the burner down the right-hand side, and Pedro Santos is the guy that's kind of the float of the free player, the free-roaming player that will float out left if we need a left winger, but he will slide inside. So I think Diaz is a very key aspect going forward. But one thing that you talked about, Mike D, is the crew trusting their process. So Caleb Porter has come into this club. They didn't make the playoffs last year. This year we're on the verge of winning an MLS Cup. Their, pro their strategy and their approach to the game is pragmatic, disciplined, and shape and possession oriented. And in these three games that we've seen them play, they haven't wavered. They play their style of play, and eventually it's going to play you out of your style of play. And Mike D and Kyle, I, both, I know you guys both talked about Carlos Hill and Gustavo Bo. Gustavo Bo was non-existent because Darlington Nagby and Artur made him non-existent. They pressed a little bit higher up the field, which made him defend, which took him further away from the goal, which took away Carlos Hill's outlet. And if that takes away Carlos Hill's uh, outlet, there's no counterattack. And that's Bruce Arena's ball game with those two DPs. Yes, Buxa had two decent-looking um, attempts at goal. He had one off the post, and then he tried – our goalkeeper again at the near post and Tarbell saved it. But if you take away Hill and Buxa, which the Columbus crew midfield did, you're not going to stop that. And if, if you guys have listened to previous podcasts, I have, I wouldn't say raved, but I have praised Matt Polster and Scotty Caldwell about how they shut down the Orlando midfield, about how they shut down the Philadelphia midfield. The Columbus crew offers something different. And that's something different is something that they offer consistently. And so I know that the Seattle Sounders are a very good team, but 
the level of consistency and the trust in the process, Caleb, Caleb Porter's process, the process that the Columbus crew plays could be dangerous for Seattle. Now, before we move on, I do have one more question for you guys. So Taylor Twelman, I hope I didn't hear this wrong. Mike D and I kind of talked about it. Um, but he did say in that match, from what I heard, the best two players on the field are wearing white. And I believe he was referring to Gustavo Bo and Carlos Hill. Okay, Lucas Celeron on his secondary hockey assist mm. to Jonathan Mensa turned Carlos Hill inside out, cut him back inside, croifed out, crossed with his off foot, back stick. What do you guys think? Who are the two best well, players, or who was the I, best I, player on that field? Well, I think he's. I think he's right on one point. I mean, I you know I think overall Zellerion is you know you know a way better player, but he he this year consistently hasn't been there. I mean, I, I think I'll chalk it up to a lot of health and being out and having kind of those nagging injuries. So, but I mean, he hasn't really been on a tear. You know, he hasn't been on the uh, you know an incredible pace like Ranso. You know, in Minnesota. So, I mean, I, I think he's right on that aspect because I I honestly think that New England was the the hotter team, you know, quote unquote, hotter team coming into, you know, into that game. You know, they did have that extra game, the playing game to kind of get them going, um, you know, and, and the crew kind of struggled down the stretch. They didn't, they didn't come into the playoffs like five and zero and six and zero. So I think he was accurate in saying that, you know, um, you know, but I wouldn't, I don't think he meant like overall, you know, I think he might've just said like right then and there, you know, kind of like, Hey, during this game, they, they you know they have the two best players, but you know I've yeah yeah I've always said the the you know in, in the Speakeasy podcast all year we've talked a lot about this about the crew is that uh, the crew's depth this year is one of the the positive it's it's probably the deepest team you know one through twenty three that they've ever had um, and and show and I think that's really helped them throughout throughout the year. Yeah, they had their ups and downs and, you know, they had their little spurt where they, you know, they had a bunch of people injured um, and they couldn't get things going. But, you know, they they, they kind of fought through it and, you know, their depth and, and, and like you said, the, the different arsenal of people that they can kind of throw at teams um, all, all kind of depends on kind of what's happening. Did you oh, did you say Arsenal? Blake's an Arsenal fan. <laughs> right. well, let's not talk about them. But, uh, yeah, to, to answer Blake's question – I do, in a in a sense, agree with you. Like, yeah. like he said, I, we talked about this, and um, I heard Taylor Twelman say this because I was watching the game, and for a, for a brief moment, I was like, I don't I don't know if I agree with that, but um, to your point, yes, I think coming into the game because they were hot coming off, you know, coming into the playoffs, maybe, but. Me being a biased crew fan, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? I, I don't care what you say. I yeah. love Taylor Twelman. He's one of my favorite favorite analysts and favorite commentators, but it, he, he struck a nerve on that one. I mean, but, hey. we yeah, That's what he likes to do. <laughs> he does like to do that, and this is one of the reasons that I like him. He does like to yeah. stir the pot. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that, yes, I mean, they were two of the hottest players in the playoffs at the moment coming into this game. Um, crew did a great job shutting them down. Yeah, and I think New England has a bright future coming up in 2021. I know Bruce Arena came out and said that he would like to add two or three more attacking pieces. So we'll see what New England has going into 2021. But the Columbus crew advanced to the MLS Cup final on Saturday against the Seattle Sounders. But, guys, 
before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, At A Time Outfitters. After the break, we will discuss some of the favorite memories from Maverick Stadium and preview the MLS Cup final between the Columbus Crew and Seattle Sounders. We'll be back in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtic's 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to MLS Gone Wild Season 2, Episode 18, featuring Columbus Dispatch Photographer, Soccer Speakeasy co-host, and my cousin, Kyle Robertson. Head over to AdditimeOutfitters.com for your soccer-specific wristbands and stickers. Use promo code GONEWILD, all one word, at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Can I break some news on, on this podcast? Break some news. Uh, according to uh, Jacob Meyer, my co-host of the Speakeasy, uh, the crew this week will be without Darlington Nagby and Pedro Santos, uh, a mix of COVID-19 positive tests. Oh, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Well, second. <laughs> I hope that was a joke. No, it's a uh, – uh, yeah. Oh, my God. So I saw Jacob Myers post today that Darlington Agnew was supposed to be in the press conferences yeah. today and it got pushed back to tomorrow and the whole city of Columbus took a sigh of relief. And here I am at 9.51 the day before I fly to Columbus to watch Darlington Agnew, who's the only crew jersey I have, is not going to be playing because of COVID. And we're also going to be missing our other designated player, Pedro Santos. Kyle, you did just say that we have maybe one of the deepest teams in the league. So, boy, we're going to have to rely on that depth on Saturday. So, Holy now, shit. Now, with this being said, we do have some things to talk about coming up here. But because this is breaking news, with these two players missing, what are our thoughts? Who replaces them in the midfield? I vote Aiden Morris. Come on. <laughs> That's a tough spot, man. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I mean, what what do we do here? It's probably, honestly, if you're playing a defensive midfielder in a game like this, you're going to probably play a little bit more of an experienced guy, Fatia Lache, ex-FC yeah. Cincinnati player. I think you start him if you need to bring a little bit of defensive midfield energy off the bench, Aiden, yeah. Left mid, Pedro's out, you start Mokhtar. I don't think there's a question in my mind. Yeah. Quick, quick, quick analysis there, Chuck. I love that. Oh, yeah. Or what about Etienne Jr.? Do you put him out there in the wings? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, put the, I put him ahead of Mokhtar. 
Mokhtar hasn't even been on the 18. I don't think he's the been, last few been games. riddled with injury. I think yeah. Etienne in there, and you Mokhtar obviously gets some time at some point, but I think you start Etienne and see what happens. Damn, man, this podcast was going so good. I was calm, cool, and collected. Now I'm over here shaking, trying to drink my margarita faster. Oh, God. Wow. All right, well, let's, let's get back into our regularly, regularly scheduled programming. Kyle, damn it, why did you have to break that news to me? <laughs> Regardless of part you breaking of the job. news. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and oh, it's also part of Jacob's job. I follow yeah. him on Twitter. I retweet and follow him close because I know he breaks the stuff really quickly. So just reading this from Jacob. It says, to date, 10 players or 33% of the roster and the crew have test positive for the coronavirus this postseason alone. In total, the club has had 11 players contact the virus. One player tested positive for COVID-19 back in July before the start of the MLS back tournament. Uh, those are numbers that you hate to hear, but 2020 has just been a really shitty year. We need to get out of this year ASAP. But Kyle, we still got a game on Saturday, and I will see you there. I will yes. be flying out of Norfolk, Virginia tomorrow night. I'll be landing at 9 p.m. I will be at Moffrey Stadium on Saturday, regardless if my boy Darlington Aggie is playing or not. Oh. But anyways, Kyle, we're going to get a little bit emotional here. I, I broke down a little bit even writing this. So Saturday's MLS Cup final will be the last playoff game at the first soccer-specific stadium in the MLS. Moffrey Stadium has been home to three MLS Cups, two MLS All-Star Games, two U.S. Open Cup Finals, seven U.S. Women's National Team matches, 10 U.S. Men's National Team World Cup qualifiers, and some of my favorite memories growing up as a kid in Columbus, Ohio. I have stood on the pitch to welcome the players to the field. I have stood at the front of Nordeca. I played a high school match on that field. I signed my commitment letter to play soccer at Virginia Wesleyan College there. I skipped homecoming, not because I didn't have a date, but because David Beckham and the LA Galaxy were in town. I have traded scarves with away fans. I watched the U.S. men's national team defeat Algeria at a watch party at the stadium. I have been to an MLS Cup at Mafre. I have cheered, I have cried, and I have loved every moment I have spent at Mafre Stadium. Kyle, for you, what is your favorite memory from Mafre? Long, long before I got a job at the at the dispatch, our uh... You know, my, my family was one of the first, you know, uh, families uh, around, um, you know, first 15,000 season ticket holders. So, you know, I remember the games at Ohio Stadium. You know, I remember going there with all the guys on my team and running around, you know, in a, you know, huge stadium doing all sorts of crazy things. Um, but, I, you know, I, I just I just remember that first game going there and thinking, man, this, you know, this is incredible. And, you know, it's uh, it just at that time, you know, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, there's just nothing else like it to have a, um, a soccer specific stadium for that. And it was just incredible to see. And, and, and to me, to, to have Columbus do it was, you know, I don't think anyone ever thought that Columbus was one of the premier teams back then. They didn't have an owner um, who liked to spend money. They weren't the Galaxy. You know, they weren't, um, you know, the Metro Stars or, you know, D.C. or Chicago, whatever. You know, they were, you know, one of the, you know, middle class, you know, organizations. And, you know, it was just super cool to see, you know, back then, you know, the Hunt family kind of get, 
um, you know, behind it and, and have a stadium. I mean, um, so, I mean, it's just incredible to think. And then, and then the other thing is to see how far stadiums have come um, in, uh, in that short time, you know, um, you know, nowadays, you know, what, 20 years and now it's outdated, right? <laughs> so, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's, the, I think that's the awesome thing is that, you know, Crew Stadium started it and then every other stadium tried to beat it and did beat it. And now as crew fans, you're back, you know, you know, next year you're going to run into a brand new stadium that's going to be bigger, better than anything out there, you know, so it's just kind of a, a full, full circle um, to me, so. Yeah, exactly. Just like you said, the Cougar sets open the gates yep. to their state-of-the-art downtown stadium yep. in the summer of 2021, three years after Anthony Precourt threatened to move the club to Austin, Texas. In early 2019, ownership changed hands as the Haslam family took over. Tim Bezbachenko was appointed as president and Caleb Porter was appointed head coach on the same day and they promised to win and win quickly. They made good on their promise two years in as they are on the cusp of winning the MLS Cup title. With a winning product on the field and a new stadium on the way, what more does the club need to do to get their fans to show up in bigger numbers and show up consistently? Because that's the biggest argument that anybody has against the crew is, where are your fans? I think I think there's a couple of things in play here that 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 I think we need to touch on, but you know, during, for this discussion, I think a lot of it, um, you know, Columbus is a very interesting market. It it, it will always be, um, you know, an Ohio State football market, you know, no matter what. So, but I think that has had an adverse effect on 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 the Blue Jackets, on the Crew, on the Clippers, on on just about anything else. And what I mean by that is the expectation for Ohio State football is so high and they've, they've been producing at such a phenomenal level, you know, they're winning championships. They're, they're kicking the crap out of Michigan every single year. You know, they're in the big 10 championship. They're going to Rose bowls and that kind of stuff. So I think a little bit is that, that fatigue of, Hey, you have to have an awesome product, you know, year in year out. That's number one, you know, two, I think for the longest time, um, if you're the average uh, soccer fan who played in high school or played rec or whatever like that, they didn't really have anyone you would say, hey, I want to go see. Like, I want to go see, you know, game in and game out. Um, you know, other teams have done that with, you know, star players. Um, you know, I think the MLS has changed in the whole in the last 10 years about bringing some of these older guys who have name recognition and, and you know, and, and game fantasy. But if you're the, you know, the, the, the Wednesday night soccer uh, league in uh, Sports Ohio and you're playing every single Saturday, you know, you know who, who on the crew do you want to go see? Now, they've done a really good job at bringing over, you know, um, you know, retooling the roster and spending, you know, more money than they ever have on Zellerion. And I think that's a piece that, that people are going to go see because he has the ability to win you a game with one touch. He has the ability to, to score unbelievable free kick goals. Um, so I think that's also very important. But the other thing is, is that it's not talked about much. The, the crew staffing in general has never been at a full force. It has always been very weak. It's always been very pedestrian when you compare what they have in their office with the marketing and that kind of stuff compared to other league entities. So, and especially during the pre-court years where they've slashed a lot of jobs, a lot of that kind of stuff. So there was no marketing. There was no grassroots 
you know, and they were in an old stadium. Everyone had kind of seen it. It's kind of run its course. So I think all those things kind of combined, you know, to create this kind of uh, snowball effect um, that, uh, you know, snowball going down the hill where it just kind of tumbles up and gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the reason why there weren't a lot of fans there. And I think in a large part, they've had, they, they've kind of stopgapped a lot of those issues. You've seen a little bit more marketing. You've seen a lot um, about the new stadium. They brought over new players. Obviously, they're playing very well, but they still need to go after, you know, folks like, you know, the three of us, uh, you know, go out there and sell tickets at a, you know, men's rec league game, go to soccer first, go to, you know, uh, Easton and all the different places, go to soccer tournaments again and just start selling tickets. Um, and I think they kind of thought um, that, hey, we're pro soccer. If you want to come see us, come to us. I mean, I know a lot of – I know uh, uh, a pretty decent-sized club here in town, and he told me the crew was absolutely terrible to work with, just trying to get tickets for all their teams and doing that kind of stuff, special night and that kind of stuff. And he said it's not, in the end, he goes, they tried to do it for a few years. He said in the end, it wasn't worth it. It was too much of a hassle. So when you're having clubs in Mosul and all the other different types of leagues saying, hey, I – I don't even want to get together the whole entire club and let's go to a crew game because it's too big of a hassle. Then, you know, that's, that's a huge issue itself. So I think they're slowly but surely improving their marketing. You know, obviously the stadium's going to help. The players are going to help. The winning's going to help. So I do think you will see, you know, next three or four years, I, I would expect that stadium to be pretty packed. Yeah, I would agree I with you. I mean, especially with the state-of-the-art stadium. Um, the things that we've seen, I mean, they're going to have – Taylor Twelman talks about this all the time, the beer garden. He's talked to John Champion about how they're going to have a beer garden. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. I haven't been to a real official – and this is terrible to say because we're on a soccer podcast for the MLS, but I haven't been to a real official MLS game in a soccer stadium ever. And the closest thing I ever got was Blake and I went down to South Carolina four years ago to – watch the crew and Minnesota United and another team that I, uh, Charlotte battery play yeah. in a preseason round Robin, which was amazing, but that's the closest I've ever been. So I think with this new stadium, I think with all the points that you touched on and with the crew building on that, save the crew movement is going to really be what helps this club. But I'm going to let Blake talk about the, the, like what you just touched on at the end there, the crew can be difficult to work with. I'll have Blake touch on that because we did have a crew player on our podcast. Yeah, this isn't necessarily something I planned on talking about, but since he brought it up, I will touch on it. Exposure to players is an issue probably outside of the local market. And unless you're extra time or the MLS call up an MLS sponsored podcast, we've been lucky enough to bring on some of the MLS's biggest, brightest young stars, Brendan Aronson, Cole Bassett, Tanner Testman, and, Aiden Morris for the Columbus crew. But boy, was it a hassle communicating with the communications department and the PR department for the Columbus crew. Aiden was like, yeah, let's, let's do the interview. And up until that point, and I understand like the players need to be protected. They have to have some kind of representation up until that point, those guys like Brendan Aronson, Cole Bassett, Tanner Testman, Kellen Acosta, all those guys were like, yeah, you know, when, where, you know, hit me up, zoom call, let's do it. And Aiden was like, yeah, same thing. Let's do it. And then it took three weeks to get this thing set up. Very poor communication between, well, not between, but from the Columbus Crew Communications 
uh, department letting me know when, and they put a lot of stipulations on it. It was just very difficult to set the thing up. And we wanted to talk to a crew player. We wanted to talk to a crew player since we started this thing in March and we finally secured one and they made it a little bit difficult. And so maybe the Columbus crew needs to loosen up its, its reins just a little bit on all ends, not just player exposure, because that's what we relate to, but you know, on ticket relations, you know, whether it's giving, like you said, Kyle, tickets to coaches and guys like you and I, they're going to tournaments and handing those out and selling those kind of tickets. But we need to bring fans back into the stands. We need to, we need to, we have an established fan base, but you have to find a strategy to expand that fan base. Yeah. I mean, I think that they will be lucky. Like I said, when, when, when all this crazy stuff, uh, kind of figures its stuff out. I think you will see fans come back uh, because they miss it. You know, it's a, it's a place that, you know, you can go watch and forget about the craziness of the world for, you know, 90 plus minutes. And, but uh, you know, I, I think they have that. I mean, I think the, also the thing is, is the way in the last 10 to 15 years, the way the, the viewer habits of, of what fans like to do. I mean, all fans want to be able to be on their phone during the game. They want to do TikToks during the game or tweets and Facebook posts and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and drink good quality beer. I mean, I mean, come on, let's get real. Um, you know, Damn, I, wait. I cannot wait to drink good Columbus beer when yeah. I get there on Saturday. Yeah. But I mean, all that stuff, I mean, all these, all these arenas are, are, are facing that. And I, you know, and I think it's, it, you know, for every league, it's harder and harder to get the fans coming. I mean, uh, you know, if, if you have, you have nice 4k TV and, you know, uh, you know, an awesome provider that, that, that has quality stuff, you know, to, to me, sometimes it's better to sit in my basement with my 65 inch TV and, and watch the game from there. And, you know, on my couch, then go, you know, then go to it every single thing. So I think that's also what's hurt the, the, you know, all sports, you know, teams and, you know, um, I, I think the, the, the way view, fans can view games nowadays with just the way 4K and HD, you know, that, that helps things out too. And you can DVR it. I mean, you know, that's another thing. I mean, back then, if, you know, 15 years ago, if you missed a game, you, you, you know, you pretty much were screwed unless you saw Sports Center or whatever. Nowadays, you, you know, you, you can go on Twitter and you can DVR it. You can do all sorts of stuff. So I do think that all leagues need to do that. I think all leagues need to kind of, continually to try to um, see what's out there. And, and, I, and I do think you're right. I do think the crew and the MLS have a huge problem with player accessibility and promoting their players and getting their, getting them out there. I mean, uh, I, I, if you took the average, uh, the average person, you take uh, Zardes or Zellerion or Nagby and Easton, uh, do you think, uh, you know, 50 people how many how many people out of 50 do you think would recognize the three people if they were walking down easton maybe 50 percent. yeah that's crazy yeah that's crazy but i mean that's just that i mean but but the thing is though is there's just so many options out there nowadays i mean there's so many so much stuff to watch on tv there's so many things to do you know it wasn't you know this you know, big new thing. And I think that's what they, them and the blue jackets have a hard time doing is like, it's not new. I've done it. I've checked it. It was great. It was okay. Okay. What's going to bring me back? What is it? You know, is it a good team? Is it an awesome player? You know, there has to be multiple, has to be multiple answers to get that average fan to come back. 
And then I think that's, but I think if you can figure that out, you'd be a millionaire in every league and every team and, you know, in the world would hire you if you, if you knew all the answers to that stuff. Shit, Kyle, I couldn't tell if you're talking about our podcast or the Columbus Crew. <laughs> no, but the thing is, though, is like, it's, I think sports has gotten to be for every single person, it's, it's, it's such a different spectrum. Everyone has different teams they like and things and different stuff and that kind of stuff. And, and, and nowadays, I think it's hard for, for uh, you know, if, if you are an Arsenal fan or whoever, dude, you can watch their games instantly anywhere in wherever you guys are at in Columbus or whatever. Now, you know, back then it was so hard to see that kind of stuff. So I think it's really hard to, to, to make fans, you know, cause if you, if you lived in Columbus and you are an Arsenal fan or a Chelsea fan or a galaxy cool fan, fan, you're not going to switch over to be a crew fan. You know, some, something has to bring you to those games. And I think that's what the crew and the blue jackets is that, that casual fan that the MLS and you know, the NHL need to get that casual fan to come to a game. And how do you do that? How do you think? Well, like you said, it's a, it's a, it's a bunch of things, you know, if you can, you can get the guy who, you know, who likes to see star players and and guys who are on the U S national team, you know, it's a good start. If you like the beer and the food, you know, I think for the cruise aspect, you know, it's going to be so huge just to be downtown. I mean, uh, a few years ago, I was trying to get my wife to go to a game. I was like, hey, uh, let's go to the game, everything. And she's like, well, what's around there? I go, uh, uh, um, big boys. <laughs> the crew was around <laughs> there. Home, Home Depot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, so, so that's, you know, so that's the hard part. It's like, if you go to the game, you're going to the game. You know, if you don't know anybody, you know, you can't tailgate or whatever, and, you know, and so, but like, that's the nice thing about being downtown and where they're at is you're going to be able to go out to eat. You're going to be able to go down to the arena district. You'll be able to stay downtown and then you'll be able to go to the game or even afterwards, go out, go to the bars and restaurants if they're open, you know, and we're past this COVID stuff. And so I think that's the other thing is like, you know, if you have that significant other, you know, oh yeah, I'll go to the game. If we get to go out before and we get to go out after like, Hey, yeah, I'll go to the game. So I think that's, I think that's some of the appeal too, is, you know, um, you know, cause I, you know, all the guys who really, you know, all, all, you know, all the Nordecki and all the different fan groups and everything, they're going to go regardless, but you really got to hit that casual fan who played in high school, who still play, you know, rec, you know, your weekend warrior soccer, oh. you know, and yeah, us, oh. you know, yeah. So, I mean, how, how, how do you get us to a game you know, two or three times a year. And so that's, I think that's the challenge. I mean, yeah. um, but I think nowadays it's, it's a, there's like 20 different boxes you got to check and, you know, and before 10 years ago, it'd only be like, Oh, like, uh, you know, Brian McBride, he's on the team. I'm going to go see him. He's the best player in the U S national. Let's go. You know, Oh, David Beckham's coming. Oh, of course we got to see David Beckham. I mean, now, you know, so now I think you have to have five or six of those boxes checked to say, Hey, I want to go to the game. And I think with the new setup, the way the team's invested in players, the current players that they have, you know, I, I think that, you know, they're, they're on the right way. You know, the only, the only thing they need is they need a, a young, you know, U S men's national team player that they can kind of groom to kind of be like the next kind of face, you know, of the franchise. And they kind of had that with Will Trapp, you know, the local Columbus kid, but he kind of, you know, kind of uh, plateaued and, 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 and wasn't, 
um, wasn't that figure, but you know, you want to, you want to have people that, you know, the, the, the high school soccer player says, dad, let's go to the game. I got to go see Zardes and Zellerron and so-and-so. And then you go. Aiden Morris. <laughs> yeah. Aiden Morris. <laughs> watch out. Hey, everybody watch out now. This kid's good. Yeah. I like, I like, I like, I love the flow of his hair. He's always doing this. Always, doing, <laughs> yeah. always pushing his hair back. <laughs> he's some, yeah, he's got some good hair and he's fierce. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's things like that that I don't think about. I mean, somebody like you who's on the inside and gets to be a part of this and see it and has been around it for so long, it's really cool to hear that insight. All right, boys, let's get into the topic that we all want to talk about. Yes, hopefully things get back to normal in 2021 so fans can show up in big numbers. The Columbus Crew and defending MLS Cup champion Seattle Sounders are set to face off in the 25th MLS Cup final in front of 1,500 fans on Saturday at 8.30 p.m. in Columbus. The Columbus Crew have won 13 of their last 14 home matches dating back to the end of the 2019 season. The Sounders have now reached the MLS Cup final four of the last five years. But in the two finals they have played on the road, they have not scored a goal, although they did win a game on PKs in BMO Field in 2016 against Toronto FC. The crew haven't given up a playoff goal in 210 minutes, but the Sounders prove they can score fast, putting up three in 18 minutes to come back from a two-goal deficit and defeat Minnesota United FC. Boys, to be the best, you have to beat the best, and the crew have that opportunity on Saturday evening. Who wins the MLS Cup and why? Kyle, we'll let you go first because you're our guest. Well, See, the, the information after, changes because we just learned something breaking. Yeah. Oh, oh well, I think it's uh, it's even tougher task now for the crew, uh, obviously, with ooh, two of the four best players gone uh, for for this game, and, and, and especially, I think, Nagby. I think that's the one that uh, it's going to hurt the most just because he's the backbone or the spine, um, uh, the, just the whole way. Caleb likes to play and he, and he plays it perfectly. Um, that being said, I mean, the Sounders have guys, man. They, and man, that the end of the game the other night, man, I'm, whew, they came out tacking the last five minutes and they are determined. And, Oh man, I, I don't know. I, I, I think, uh, man, uh, I'm going to have to change my opinion from 30 minutes ago. Yeah, right. Uh, I think, uh, you know, you know, at the beginning of the show, I probably would have said, you know, possibly probably the crew 2-1, you know, with a late goal. But now, uh, you know, I think maybe a 3-1 or a 4-1 Seattle win, unfortunately, is, oh. is kind of what my prediction is. Uh, I think you're going to see the crew kind of uh, get behind a little bit. Um, and, uh, and then they're going to press and – Seattle's going to counter the counter them, and they got dudes, man. They got dudes. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm the the last. I, I you know, I'm going to go out there and say right now, as much as you know, we try not to be biased. I don't know that I actually do try to be, or excuse me, unbiased. I don't know that I actually do try to be unbiased. I think I'm just fully biased, and I just accept it, and that's who I am. You know, the crew is our team, and we support them regardless of the odds, but learning what we just learned like you said the biggest piece here that's missing for me that takes this whole thing down to a different level 
is Darlington Nagby. The way that he makes the game happen, the way that he moves those chess pieces is so important to the crew. And not having him on top of not having Santos is, is a devastating blow when you have people like Nico Ladero and, and Raul Ruiz Diaz and uh, rolled on um, in the midfield running the show there for Seattle, and especially when they've been as, as great as they've been, not only for the past couple of years, but even in these playoffs to, to show the resilience that they did the last game against Minnesota and come from behind and win the game. When for me, I'm watching the game. I'm like, this is it. Minnesota's going through. So that's a problem. Nicola Darrow is a force to be reckoned with. And if somebody can't slow him down, that's a problem. And if him and Raul Ruiz Diaz are combining the way that they can combine when they don't have that pressure, it's going to be devastating in my opinion. So as much as I don't want to admit this, what I see happening here is complete mismatch in the midfield. This is killing me. Complete mismatch in the midfield, which then causes the crew to try to bunker and just like we saw with Minnesota, the way that Minnesota tried to bunker, Seattle is going to wear them down and wear them down and wear them down. And it's well, only yeah. a matter of time where. Well, I do think that the difference between, uh, you know, Columbus and Minnesota, obviously, I think the goalkeeper, I think the goalkeeper for Minnesota, even how great as he was, he's very inexperienced. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that showed and also the back line. And then the other part is, I think it's. How do I want to say it? I think it's helpful for the crew that if you're missing Nagby, you're also missing Santos. And the reason why is when Santos got moved into the middle, he's kind of a running gun kind of spaz where has to get forward. We won't wait until the right opportunity. We're just, we're just going to freaking go, which is great. Which Hey, that's why Pedro has been fouled a million times. That's why he gets penalty kicks. But sometimes he just runs and guns way too much. And I thought a lot of the crew's issues when they had that slump was when Pedro was in the middle and kind of was just spazzing out, kind of going, you know, not being patiently and methodically and waiting for them, the lanes to open up. So I do think that, you know, if Nagby's not there and Santos isn't there to move into the middle, I think that actually helps the crew. It's so funny because it's like you guys must be related because Blake has this almost the same concerns and almost the same thought process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pedro's hot and cold for me, but I think missing Darlington Nagby yeah. is the bigger piece. He dictates the pace of the play. He dictates where the game is played. He dictates how the game is played. But looking you know, from he, a, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of like a like J.R. Smith. Like you never know what the hell you're gonna get, <laughs> and if he can get you like 18 points on like you know five of eight shooting, you know you're great. But then all of a sudden he's going to have like that, you know, the timeout or the missed pass or, you know, something crazy where it's like either hot or cold. Like he's either really great or he's just like, you know, throwing up bricks and, you know, taking off his shirt and doing all this crazy stuff in a way. But I think Santos is just a little bit better than that. But I think that's what it, that's what it is. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very good comparison. But one of the things that I was going to bring up to you guys is which attacking trio was going to show up in this game. And Pedro Santos was included in this. 
So when I'm talking about Seattle Sounders trio, it's Ladero, Morris, and Rui Diaz. Ladero had eight goals, 13 assists this year. Morris had 11 goals and nine assists. Rui Diaz, 14 goals, six assists. The Columbus Crew, Zardes, 14 goals, five assists. Santos, who's not going to be playing, eight and eight. Zellerion, six goals, eight assists. Take Santos out of it. Um, Diaz, you got to go with Diaz now. <laughs> yeah. You go with Diaz. He, Diaz has been hot. I mean, I think uh, just like you talked about a little bit ago, um, Diaz has shown really good form in these games that matter recently. Like you said, instead of dribbling it down the right line, something that impressed me was just like you said, exactly the same thing. Taking that first touch and finding that early ball. That's, that's exactly what he needs to do. And that's going to be an integral part. If bringing Etienne in and, and swapping up the midfield a little bit, making sure that you can account for lost pieces is what you have to do, then you can. And, and I'm not saying it's not doable. I'm just very scared of Ladero and Rui Diaz. Morris has been – he's got a lot of great stats throughout the season. But in the straight post- line runner, straight line runner. That's straight it. Straight line runner in the postseason. He hasn't done a whole lot of great things. For me, the scarier people are Ladero and Ruidiaz and, and their effectiveness, and that's what I'm scared of. Kyle talked about it earlier, and they talk about it all the time on the Soccer Speakeasy podcast, just about how deep the Columbus Crew are, and we're going to find out just how deep the Columbus Crew are on Saturday night when they face the defending MLS Cup champions. What we're going to see, I don't know. My have have we have I given my prediction yet? No, nope. I don't. I didn't All think right. anybody did except for Kyle. Yeah. All right. The so one Kyle, guy he shouldn't pick. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's a photographer. He's going to be a little bit unbiased. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to take the Columbus Crew two-two on penalties five-four. He's writing down. He's going yeah. to hold you to it. Yeah. So that means that I am the only one left to pick. That's right. So therefore, hey, are, you, are you saying that if Andrew Tarbell's playing goalie? <laughs> I'm fine with Andrew Tarbell. I know a lot of people do you are, not remember, but... Do you not remember MLS back in the shootouts, how he went one side the whole entire time was 0 for 5? What was that? And it, what was that? It, that all feels like 10 years ago, Kyle. <laughs> is that Minnesota? Yeah, Minnesota. Jesus, I could have been jumped in gold and did better than that. You must have been drunk or something. But anyway. Yeah, pro- well, probably. Well, do, do we know if Eloy's going to be playing or no? Uh, I, th- I, I would think he is. Uh, you know, at I, this, I think he at was, this point, yeah. I think that he plays. Yeah, but do you well, play the hot guy? I mean, the guy, the guy's had two shutouts in the last two games. So that's a very good point. Yeah, but I think if he's, uh, I think if if Ailer Room is practicing in his fitness level, I mean, look, he's a goalie, so his fitness level doesn't have to be great. But I know the timing and getting back and making sure, you know, practice, you know, you want to get your timing right. Um, but the conditioning part, that you know, it's not like he's playing. 90 minutes running up and down the flank so right right but he did have possibly have COVID so I know it's affect everyone differently and you know maybe he had some shortness of breath or some other hiccups or anything like that so yeah yeah exactly oh man I just talked about being biased and as much as I want I want I want to pick the crew with everything in my heart Hey, this what makes it the underdog when they do win makes it so much better, though. <laughs> right, right. I just have such a hard time because I'm a fan of the crew, and yeah. regardless of you know your fandom, you have yeah. to sometimes 
take that unbiased route and really look at the facts and really look at the lineups and see what do you really think based on your fandom. So for me, with the news that we learned, because Kyle absolutely broke our hearts the past 30 minutes, or really, I guess, Jacob, you know, his, his co-host of the Speakeasy podcast. But um, with, with these pieces, I mean, really the piece missing that I, I think uh, I'm going to go with, because the crew's defense is so stout and because I believe in the system, I'm going to say, and because of what we saw with FC Dallas, I mean, I'm going 2-1 Seattle. Sounds like you're heartbroken. I, I'll cry right now. <laughs> I don't want. I didn't want to say that. I didn't ever want to say that. I never thought I would ever say that. But this is the only thing that I'll say, aside from my unbiased opinion, which is something that anybody listening to this right now is is not going to hear a whole lot of. Seattle are un. They first of all, the crew have lost one game in Maffrey all season long. The the Maffrey is a fortress. The crew's record on the road is 3-3-3. Three, three, and three. We're going to see what happens on Saturday night. The Sounders have also never scored a goal other than in penalty kicks and in a way MLS final. So we're going to find out something about both of these teams on Saturday night. Before we dive way too deep into this stuff, guys, Kyle, Mike, do you guys have anything else to say before I close us out? You know, I thought that I did. I think that we've covered a lot. Um, the a only, lot. Yeah. It's been a lot. You know, <laughs> it's been a great conversation, Kyle. It's been awesome to meet you. It's been awesome to chat with you. Blake has been basically the brother that I never had. Um, and so I guess the only the only question that I have based on what we've recently talked about here is, and even the answer to this question I think changes now too, is aside from everything we just learned, who would you have rather had from the Western Conference final to play in this MLS Cup, Minnesota or Seattle? Oh, we talked about this on the speakeasy the other day. It was, uh, you know, I, I, thought, uh, I thought both would be kind of challenging for the crew because, one, you got the defending champs. You know, they're, they have studs. They got studs everywhere. They got guys who have done it. Um, they got you know, not just one guy. They got a bunch of guys. Then also on the flip side, you got – uh, you know, you got Minnesota, this this team that's never been there before. And when, when you're kind of going through there and, and, you know, you have no expectations, you're just slaying, slaying teams left and right. And, oh, by the way, you might have the hottest player in the whole entire league, you know, that was just straight up balling, you know, Who's the that? last couple games. Who's that? <laughs> Reynoso? <laughs> Dude, that free kick was unbelievable. I mean yeah. – uh, and then there's assists the, the game before. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, you know, but if you look at the teams, I thought that a better matchup would be Minnesota because I thought their back line wasn't as great. Um, and their goalkeeper, I think, as good as he is, he's, he's kind of sub suspect at, at times uh, with uh, just the control of the game and uh, the way he kind of uh, maneuvers around and, and, and the lack of putting people – uh, on goalposts, on set pieces, and marking uh, uh, only the most dangerous person on the field with no one around him. Um, but then also the, the the weird thing about Minnesota is I, I kind of had a, a, a sneaky or a kind of like a, a, a weird feeling that Ethan, fit, e Ethan Finley would come back and score, you know, in the championship game uh, because I feel like 
He's been truly haunted ever since he, sc- he scored in Moffray for Team USA and then was called back for a fluky offside. His career kind of went down the shitter. Um, and uh, so, but then you got Kai Kamara too, ex-crew guy. He kind of got the, the, the shaft of things, uh, you know, uh, well, he kind of gets a shaft on, you know, for most things. Because uh, what, he had was a 10th team. So I kind of had like a weird kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, those guys are going to kind of come back and score. And wouldn't that be like poetic justice that two guys that they kind of said, hey, get out of here, came back and kind of beat you in the championship. Yeah. So um, kind of like, a, you know, like Buckeye fans, would you, you know, yes, would you, you want to beat Clemson, but would you want to get throttled by Joe Burrow in the championship game? I mean, it's kind of, uh, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great to be there, but hey, you got beat by an ex Buckeye. Yeah. So I mean, I guess those type of things. But I mean, you know, I, you know, I think Seattle. You know, Seattle's been a good team all year, and they deserve to be there. You know, they got players, and and I think they got a great coach who's kind of still under the radar um, since he doesn't have a contract for next year. And what he's going for, what his third championship in four years or five years or whatever it is. Pay the man. Yeah, pay the man whatever he wants. Alexi Lawless said this. Alexi Lawless said this before the uh, U.S. Men's yeah. National Team game, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to jump in, Chuck. Here, yeah. but his price tag is only going to go up if they yeah. win the championship. So why not sign the man now? Uh, there must be more going on yeah. that we don't know. So. Yeah. yeah, there's always weird stuff about control and bringing in players and that kind of stuff like that. And but yeah, to me, it seems it seems crazy. It seems like he's the perfect fit, and uh, you know, he we'll see. Coach. Yeah. But, hey, okay, so before we end on the show, so, I, you, I mean, you guys are both kind of uh, in the dumps at the moment with the news. So if there is, there's always a possibility because that's why they play the game of, of an outcome. Um, what, what do you guys both think will, uh, could happen for the crew to win? What do they need? Do they, do they need a couple free kick goals? Do they need, um, you know, room to play unbelievable? What, what, what crazy thing do you do you think? crazy or not crazy or what what will it take for the crew to win now so first things first kyle two of the three comeback goals that seattle scored against minnesota were set piece goals yeah so first and foremost the crew need to defend set piece goals we don't need to give up anything easy so that's not good at that though they suck but i'm what i'm saying is the crew needs to focus on that okay the second thing is Caleb Porter has a system, and I don't think it matters what player he plugs into the system. He's going to play the same way, albeit, you know, one – I said it earlier. Usually Luis Diaz is the running gun on the right-hand side, and Pedro Santos is the guy that floats inside. I don't think that's going to change, and that's why I suggested Mokhtar. I know he's come off injury, but they've got to find some kind of balance there. You know, Derek Etienne Jr. is also a guy that's a burner, so we don't want both guys being burners down the outside. So we have to find a guy on the wing that's going to float inside. But most importantly, we need to figure out who is going to fill in for Darlington Nagby. We know the rest of the guys that are going to do their job. Josh Williams, Jonathan Mensa, Harrison Uffel, Valenzuela, Jossi Zardes, uh, Zellerion. They're all going to do their job up the spine. But we need to figure out who is going to do the job for Darlington Nagby. Is it for Kyle Austin? No, I think you got to do our tour and then move somebody into else for our tour spot. And that's fine with me because I think our tour is he has grown so much as a player since Will Trapp has left because he's been able to embrace that. And he's been so comfortable this year because he's had Darlington Nagby next to him. And so I think he's ready for that moment. 
he's looked ready for this moment. He's looked possess possessionally and positionally comfortable. And I think that Artur is going to be one of the most important pieces in this game. And whoever you put next to him in that pivot position is going to be the most important position on the field for the Columbus crew. I could not agree more with that statement. Artur is the one thing that I, I need. Artur plays – I'm sorry, he plays so slow. And <laughs> the one thing for me – and I and after the game, they, they interviewed him, and they talked about him playing next to players like Darlington Nagby, and he said, you know, talking about the goal that he scored and the goals that – I mean, he scored his first ever MLS goal this year, and then to go on to score a game-winning goal in, in the playoffs to advance the MLS Cup is, is incredible for him. I don't – I'm not downgrading that at all. He said it himself that Darlington Nagby has, has made the game easy for him, which is fantastic. And, and when it's there, great. He now needs to channel that energy to be like, okay, Darlington's not going to be there. Now I'm the guy. So for me, it's just a step quicker. And to Blake's point exactly, he's got to have that guy next to him that's going to compliment him. And he needs to have that confidence that's going to feed that other guy as well to, to keep them – sound in that system i think the other thing now 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 that i think about it and and obviously the news changes everything um but i i i think that uh caleb's gonna caleb's gonna use all the subs and i think he's gonna have to mix and match and play guys out of spots and bring guys in and say hey give me 30 minutes or hey do this hey do that you know the last couple games he hasn't subbed a whole lot um you know i think in the nashville game they brought in a couple guys late uh so he really went with his starting 11 and I don't, and I don't think he can do that now with the the two guys that he's missing because I don't I don't know the two guys they bring in can can go a full 90 or I think they're gonna have to mix and match and kind of figure out a couple different things to do now too so I think that's something that you can probably watch is 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 watch the substitutions and and see what what type of magic he can bring I guess so do you start some – so you do it to your point. You, you do bring up a good point. Do you start some guys out of position early and then bring in those vet guys later? Well, I think that, like you said, the easiest one is to move Artur because I think it's easier to, 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 to find a replacement for Artur than, than to find someone to replace Nagby um, and keep Artur at that um, spot. But, I, you know, I don't – I don't know. So, so, so you're going to bring in somebody to play the middle who hasn't played at all this postseason? No, I, to, for me, I think you start guys where they need to start. And if you have to make substitutions to chase the game, like a yeah. Boateng or a Mokhtar, if you yeah. have to make those kinds of substitutions late in the game, that's when you make them. But you mm. start with the best 11 that you have. This is the MLS Cup final. Yeah. This but was you're the gonna last be, right, but you're going to have a guy in the middle who hasn't even played at all in the postseason. Regardless. I mean, yeah. There's down yeah, to somebody. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an adjustment that has to be made for the Columbus crew. So, for me, I think it's Artur and Alashe with Zellerion in front of him. I think that is the triangle in the midfield. For me, I think they just have to maintain. I hope they don't have to sit up in a very defensive posture. I, don't, I hope they don't have to sit up the bunker. But it's something that they may have to do against the attacking trio of Morris, Libero, and Rui Diaz. But we'll see. But, guys, we've been on this damn thing for about an hour and a half, so let's get off here. Kyle, where can we listen to the soccer speakeasy? 
uh, dispatch.com. Uh, if you follow us on Twitter, I'm at krobphoto. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it's on all the Apple podcasts and all sorts of stuff. We got an awesome producer that puts that stuff out on on just about everywhere. So it's uh, it's uh, should be about you know anywhere and everywhere. So dispatch.com for the local stuff. I think we do a really really good job. We have an awesome. Um, beat writer um, who's fairly new to soccer but he's learning and he's been great we have an awesome columnist named Michael A. Race who's probably one of the smartest guys I know um, and, and kind of just brings uh, the whole history and all sorts of crazy stuff together and obviously myself and we'll have actually another photographer um, at the game so there you know there'll be four or five of us covering the game pretty you know um, larger than anyone else uh, here in Columbus so uh, check out dispatch.com and uh, obviously Twitter, uh, K-Rob photo. I'll be posting photos, hopefully, uh, throughout the game. All right, so from the MLS Con Wild Crew, Mike D and myself, and from our featured guest, Kyle Robertson, thank you guys for listening to Season 2, Episode 18 of MLS Gone Wild. I will be at the MLS Cup Final on Saturday. Kyle will be at the MLS Final on Saturday. Mike D will be watching from his condo in Virginia Beach. But nonetheless, we will all be cheering on the crew, even though those two didn't didn't, uh, pick the crew to win this game. But guys, we're going to bring you some exclusive exclusive content from the MLS Cup Final. We'll try to do some ML, or not some MLS, um, Instagram Live stuff. We'll try to bring you guys live updates from the game whenever we can. And we will try to bring you guys a podcast after the game, at least the week after the game, to keep you guys updated on how the crew did. But Kyle, once again, thank you for joining us for episode 18 of season two. Kyle, I will see you at Christmas, my guy. And I'll see you on Saturday. I'll be there. All right. Thank y'all for listening. Stay home, stay safe, wear a mask, and cheer for the crew, baby. Let's go.